and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made for Kansas City fans by Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside my good friends, Kyle and Armando, we have more spring training baseball to talk about this week. Exciting developments in the batting order, exciting play from players that we need to see excitement from. I'm just so excited about this that I want to tell you everything. But first... Just some friendly reminders of some things coming up very soon on Fountain City Sports Media. We do have an exclusive beer interview coming up with a brewer from Service Brewing Company in Shawnee, Kansas. We're very excited to have this interview with him. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for quite a long time. And you can expect that hopefully either next week or the week after. We're just getting dates ironed out. So keep an eye on the website for that. Other exciting reminders to tell you about, we do have the opening day Royals podcast. So later that evening, when the Royals open the baseball season, check us out. Link will be on FountainCitySportsMedia.com for those looking. It's going to be a live stream. It's going to be great. Other things to talk about before we get into the show... We are giving away a free ticket to Podbean Finance Week live stream on March 26th through the 28th. They've got some interesting stuff they're talking about in Finance Week. They're going to be talking about personal finance in the pandemic, GameStop, Robin Hood, and the Merry Men of Reddit, what actually happened, market predictions 2021, crypto craze, and making your money work for you. So if you would like a free ticket to Podbean Finance Week, Just contact us at any of our fine social media outlets. First one to do that will get their hands on that prize. So, that's enough from me. Boys, what y'all been up to this week? Oh, I was going to say, did you hear about that football player that actually changed his salary into Bitcoin? And now he's like one of the highest paid players in football because he transferred his money into Bitcoin? No, but that's awesome. Yeah, I forgot who it was. I have to look it up. But anyway, just just look up like football player Bitcoin and and he literally made like twice as much money from his salary. He like put it in his contract. I want this to be transferred to Bitcoin when I sign. And now his contract's worth like way more than he signed for. The thing that scares me about Bitcoin is the fact that I've had explained to me like multiple different ways by multiple different people and I still don't understand what it is or how it exists. Maybe we should give you that free ticket. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) The best explanation I heard is that like any kind of tender comes down to what like like what we think it represents. Right. Because money's just paper. Right. But it's backed by, you know, alternately lots of different things through the history of this country and other countries, be it, you know, precious metals or at, at worst, like speculative, crazy inflation, you know, so. It seems like a logical conclusion that there would be like 25 different cryptocurrencies now. It's wild. And I, you know, I'm curious to see where it all goes. The U the US dollar is backed by like a billion million tons of physical gold in Fort Knox, which actually has market value. What is Dogecoin and cryptocurrency backed by? Like a bunch of neckbeard Star Wars collections? Elon Musk. That's an that's an interesting point though, right? Because it's like does that gold and silver really have market value? Because it has some market value right now, but there have been times in history where it's become worthless through a boom or a bust, you know? Gold and silver has value to two chains. 
Hey. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to get doxxed by like a half billion people now for calling out cryptocurrency and making fun of Star Wars. Although I'm a big Star Wars fan and I have a few action figures. Don't judge me for that. It's actually good that we don't have, like, this isn't a public company and that people can, like, manipulate stocks because they would totally bring our stocks down after this episode. Oh, dude, I'm terrified. Our stonks, you mean? Oh, dude, how have we not said stonks? Yeah, stonks would, stonks would be down. For what it's worth, I have a decent chunk of money in Ethereum, which is not doing super well right now. What is it? And I did buy a little, and I did... It's another crypto, and I and I did buy some Dogecoin, so I am also an investor in Dogecoin. So you you used your imaginary currency to purchase a different imaginary currency, neither of which has backing of anything. That's correct. And let me also say, in the spirit of hashtag or uh, you know uh, subreddit Wall Street bets and all that, um, people jumping in thinking that like this is how you invest and save for retirement. No. It is gambling. It is gambling. And it has always been gambling. And honestly, the the Wall Street fat cats, like the actual Wall Street, that's always been speculative gambling, too. That's not real, like, planning for a retirement. So get a 401k. Get a Roth IRA. Invest in some long-term bonds. Yeah. And then with, like, a couple hundred bucks, if you feel like getting dumb, you can go get some Dogecoin. Heck yes. Get Invest in the LA Dogers. Make sure you buy lots of Barry Bonds and put all your money in Colorado Rothies. That's fantastic. I can't wow. even argue with any wow. of that. That's, that's too good. Listen, I've long been a huge fan of the of the Royals radio crew, which I was, you know, singing the praises last week. But this week in particular, I am even more on the Royals radio booth train because I finally emailed them like they're always telling you to do because I realized, oh, it's spring training. They might actually read my email. Early on in the broadcast, it was the game against it's a game against the Brewers, and I had written them an email in maybe the third inning, and I was I, I was on a drive, and so I, I, I had the game on the radio and knew because it was a seven-inning game that I would probably be able to listen to the whole thing and not miss if they happen to read it on air. So finally, Steve reads my email to them where basically all, all I said was that I really appreciate their work and that I was hoping for solid outings from both Mike Miner and Bubich that day. They both pitched really well that day, so that was great. Um and he read my email, which he he said my name, and then he like spelled out my last name to be like, did I say that right? Then he read my email, and then he said, thank you very much. And then immediately, because, I mean, he's so good at this about reading the emails in between the plays. It's like, it's a real, you know, Vince Scully was the master, right? But like, you know, it's it's that kind of thing stitching in the, the, the other parts of the game into the broadcast. And so he immediately, like, he read my letter, my, my email, just before the final call of the game where Love Lady, I I believe speared one like off the mound and threw him out at first to end the game. It was amazing. It was perfect. So I loved that. Did you put Kyle Neg at Fountain City Sports Media? No, because first of all, don't say my name on here. Uh, I'm leading a docs campaign on you, Kyle. It's already happened. So I'm sorry. Everybody knows your name. It's fine. Uh, I did not advertise the podcast because I feared that they wouldn't read my email if I seemed like I was trying to get us free airtime. And I think that's probably true. No, nah, no, I, I got to side with Kyle on that one. That sounds like something I would welch on, to be honest. He'd be like, hey. Multiple people where he read the emails, he said, oh, nice to hear from you again. So this is the long game, baby, because one day we're going to get Fizz and Steve Stewart and the crew and Lefebvre and all them 
Dude, this is the pot. kind of investing I can get behind, Kyle. I really, I really like that. You know, this is backed by thought. This is backed by effort, and this is backed by intrinsic motivation. Good work. Do you want to hear about my weekend? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so this this weekend was um, supposed to be snow apocalypse here in Denver, and we were supposed to get like forty inches of snow accumulation from Friday to Sunday, and. Um, I was supposed to do an opera on Sunday, so I told the, um, the opera director and I was like, hey, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave early and I'll stay in Boulder because I don't live close to where the venue was at um, to beat the storm because most everyone lived in Boulder. So I was like, I don't want to be the reason why you cancel. So uh, Friday rolls around, no snow. Saturday rolls around, still no snow. So I go, okay, great. I'm just going to drive out just in case there's a big snowstorm and then we'll be fine. So I drive out uh, Saturday to Boulder and everything's cool. Sunday morning, get up and there was snow overnight, but still no significant snow. Um, but still the roads apparently were too bad that some of the castmates had to cancel. So the, the show ended up being canceled. I go to Boulder for no reason. And then my wife goes, Hey, everything's fine over here. Why don't you head home? And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm driving home yesterday and it starts to snow a little bit. I'm like, all right, this is fine. I'm getting like 30 minutes in can barely see the road and i'm like oh no and then like i get right into denver logan my wife calls me and says there's a blizzard warning and i was like i think i'm in it (laughs) and i was like oh my gosh so so i luckily i mean literally grace of god i i pull off the road there's a clarion hotel i walk in i'm like do you guys have a room like i'm pretty sure we're in a blizzard he was like yeah we are and he was like yeah we have a room go ahead so I, I end up yeah, staying seriously. overnight within the span of six hours. There was a total of like 23 inches of snow in Boulder. <gasps> oh my or, gosh. Sorry, in That's terrible. Um, so luckily I get out. It, I literally could have stayed home the entire weekend and I would have been fine. I wouldn't have missed a show or anything and did all that prep for nothing. So that was kind of awful. Uh, and today was a little rough driving too, cause there was some ice. But uh, I made it home. I'm okay. But yeah, with Denver, uh, Colorado weather is wild. What was your first sense that like, oh, I I think I missed a, you know, a, a serious storm warning or something yeah, like well, that? Yeah, well, I I didn't get a blizzard warning or anything. Logan got the blizzard warning because she was an hour south. So apparently it was moving up north to me. Uh-huh. And it literally just looked like snow for a little while. But it, it changed within the 20 minutes that I was driving and it turned into a blizzard. Um, so that was wild. I'd never experienced that. Luckily I have a Nissan frontier. It's a, it's a four wheeler, uh, four wheel drive. But even then it was pretty scary. I, I was slipping a little bit already when the blizzard started and I was like, yo, if, if I'm sure. already slipping like this is going to be brutal. So I'm glad I, I pulled off the road, stayed the night at the hotel. It was fun. Watched qu- all of Queens gambit. <laughs> nice. And, and listen, that, that's a great lesson that like, I'm really glad you did that. I'm sorry. I had no idea that was going on. It's um, p- people make all kinds of risky decisions because they're like, oh, like I, I you know, I just got to get there and it's never worth it, especially in these severe weather. It's just never worth it. Did you at least did you at least get like a stonky pint while you're in Boulder? 
<laughs> no, so no, because because I thought I had a show, so I was you know sober. I was drinking water and everything. And when I left, <laughs> I went to the hotel and I was like, "Hey, do you guys have any beer?" And they're like, "Yeah, we we have these cans." And they had you know whatever Bud Light, PBR, uh, but they also had Deschutes uh, Fresh Squeeze. And they're like, "So one can is four dollars, but six cans is six dollars." <laughs> What? So I, so I was like, of anything? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, can I have a six pack of Deschutes Fresh Squeeze, please? And they're like, sure. And it Are was you serious? <laughs> yeah, Clarion Hotel in Denver. Thank do you, you, for do you remember through. who the manager was? You should shout them out. I don't remember, but I just remember him saying one for four, six for six. That's the heist of a century. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> it was I I actually started laughing out loud when he said that and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm getting the six-pack then." Check your math. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> well, boys, those are both incredible stories for the week. I, I I don't have a whole bunch to share other than like I I I got a bit of both. I sent an email and subsequently got the first dose of my Pfizer vaccine. Uh so Oh, nice. You know what they say? That's great. Moderna, wait your turn, because Pfizer is wiser. So I'm I'm waiting for my second. I uh, I actually tag teamed the ride up to Chillicothe, Missouri, with friend of the podcast, Kansas City Kid Noah Metzger. Uh, really? Yeah, dog. So it was a long drive, but we made it. We're gonna go back in three weeks. It's great. So that's my story for the week. That's great. That's a great story. That's nice, man. And, yeah, and it's guys. it's really important. Uh, I'm glad you were able to get one because you're in contact with so many people at the brew hall. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> Are you technically an essential worker? I mean, you or, or um, like what? what's the term for like when you come in contact with a lot of people? There's uh, it's like so that other tier. I can't remember what it was, but starting today was the tier where like restaurant workers slash yeah. convenience okay. store clerks could That's could good. go out and get their vaccines and all that. Yeah, so, nice. That's great. Good. Yeah. So to tie into Armando story, uh, driving back from dropping off the Kansas City kid, uh, I was in a tornado warning, uh, by which I mean it kind of drizzled and there were angry looking clouds about 25 miles behind me, so it wasn't nearly as treacherous. And uh, to end the day, I did not get a six-pack of Deschutes Fresh Squeeze for $6, so. Well, we've had severe weather in Colorado. We've had severe weather in Kansas City. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another Wind Watch. It's time for the Omaha Storm Chasers. Wait, what? <laughs> Wind Merrifield, our young phenom, has continued to just light it up in spring training, making highlight reels being talked about across the country. And as recent as Sunday night's Dodgers game, even the Dodgers radio broadcast network couldn't help but ogle our number one project, <laughs> number one prospect. I think, didn't you just say Whit Merrifield? Oh, Try that again. oh my gosh, talk about a Freudian wit. <laughs> anyway, so Bobby Witt Jr. has some amazing stats right now in spring training. He is currently top two in at-bats, runs, hits, home runs, RBIs, and he's hitting a cool 333. Now, boys, because of what's been going on in spring training, I know last week we were like, will he be called up at any point this year? Won't he be called up at any point this year? I think we have to adjust the storm warning scale here. Will we see Bobby Wood Jr. before the All-Star break this year? I raise you, not that you raised any, or you said anything, but a hot take Mondo, this should be reason to not bring him in before All-Star break. 
This is the reason why we keep him outside of Major League Baseball for now. And here's the reason. I already said that I think he is the next Mike Trout, and he is our Mike Trout. Guess who we can't afford in six years? Mike Trout. Guess who we probably won't be able to afford in six years? Bobby Witt. Let's keep him in the minor leagues until we absolutely need him 2021 because this, I mean, if we keep him at the end of the all-star break or after the all-star break, I guess that counts as half of a service year, right? I I, I just don't want to waste a service year on him, right? Because he is going to be, he is going to be a star and he's going to be too expensive. Hopefully the the new regime in the Royals is going to help. Maybe we can retain people like Bobby Witt, but I just don't want to waste talent. And I also don't want this to be another Mondesi story, right? Like, we, I think we brought Mondesi too early, and Mondesi kind of ruined himself. Not that not that Wade and Mondesi are the same. I'm just saying, like, in general, we want to keep the stars, milk it as we can. We can't afford him. He's, he's, a, he's a star. Love you. Well, Witten Mondesi is going to be an entirely apples-to-orange comparison we'll get on later in this podcast. Kyle, you've patiently been waiting right there. What is your wit rating? Armando, is your name Colin? Because that was a cowherdly take. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh. No, it was a hot take because Listen, I'm saying so, don't bring him in. Don't. No. Yeah, that's that's cowardly, man. Because, listen, it's when hot. somebody's putting on a show like Bobby Witt. Okay, so I actually don't entirely disagree with you in that um, like, like we recently discussed uh last episode actually two episodes ago um the adjustments to like triple a ball this year which is likely where bobby witt will be playing from day one um and honestly selfishly as a des moines resident uh, i'll get to see him quite a bit coming over from omaha or even get over there to a game or two that's um but because of the COVID adjustments they're not having any of those teams fly right so they just play basically the, the same four teams in kind of a rotation which i think actually for our guys is is really good developmentally because then you get to see the same players again which is like a huge major league skill being able to especially in your division know what to look for and make adjustments and kind of like make the duel happen so anyway even though i'm i'm kind of being a combative here i, I actually do agree that probably the all-star break would be a good Uh, target goal because it would be awesome to get him like i mean like we talked about earlier putting on a show in spring training is like a tale as old as the royals and the cactus league right like how many seasons have we gone like you know 25 and 5 in the cactus league or you know not 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 that good but but close to it and then you know lost 95 games in the regular season and so you know the fact that he's putting on a show now is awesome. So I would like to see him translate that into a consistent AAA ball performance through 60 games or so. You know they start in early May, um, but I I do think I do think we should bring him up in the second half of the season. I really think that he's playing super well, and I hear Armando's concern about him. You know bringing the star power too soon and us not being able to to get in the race. But listen. We can't build a losing culture, so I say bring him up. Well, I think these are all really good takes and all really good things to keep in mind when watching Bobby Wood Jr. for the rest of spring training. Uh, I think in regards to pay, I think if this dude is going to be worth superstar money, I think this is an instant where, like, I don't know if Sherman hosts a bake sale or something like that, but the Royals will find money to keep Bobby Wood Jr. This, this isn't Zach Granke, a guy you see once every four or five games. We're talking an everyday guy that can affect every single game. 
So I think he'd be worth the money. And and fun fact, he's so young right now that if Bobby Witt Jr. strolled up the stairs in the beer hall and said, golly gee whiz, I'd love a pint of that delicious unfiltered wheat, I'd say, I'm sorry, sir. He's I can't 20. serve you. He's 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. He's 20. <laughs> Just some things to... That was a positively Rockwellian scene you just painted for us. And, and and also, Reese, I mean, not not to spend too much time on this, but again, if we only have six years before the new contract and we start him now, he's going to be 26 in his new contract. I mean, he's going to be worth so much money if we put him in now. So I get it. I hope we have the money. And of course, they're going to prioritize it because he's the real freaking deal. But man, what a what a talent. An exciting time to be a Kansas City Royal fan. Moving on to more spring training news, it has been a prosperous spring training so far for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, they went five and one this last week, sitting at ten and three overall. They are averaging five point nine runs per game and allowing three point nine runs per game. So I'm liking the offensive production we're seeing. I think the pitching. I would like to see that point nine down to closer to maybe point two, point three in spring training. Uh, but we have some interesting stories going on in spring training right now. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi has not played since the very beginning in surprise, but he showed up and he's showed up. Uh, rumor has it, according to Robert Murray on fansided.com, there's an extension in the works between the Royals and Mondesi, but there is still, quote, a lot to work through. Now, Mondesi is currently 25, again, very young. We have club control on the guy for three more years. And some fun facts, last September and October, he put up a stat line of 356, 408, and 667 with six home runs and 24 RBIs in his 100 plate appearances. So what I'm getting at with this, will this be the year we see Mondesi finally transcend into the all-star we're hoping he's going to be? And if not, what do we do with him? Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, so I've I've talked about this on the previous pod, right? Mondesi is our is our biggest wild card. Like we are going to be as good as Mondesi is. If Mondesi is not great, that's really going to hurt the team in a very detrimental way. If he's great, then honestly the sky is the limit for the Royals. So I think the pressure is on because we finally have some players that that can take his spot. You know, Bobby Witt Jr. can't play. Or maybe he can't play shortstop, but we can put someone else there. That's fine, right? He is. A, a replaceable commodity where Mondesi was not replaceable last year, the year before, the year there. And we can get value for him still, right? He's, he still has that potential, quote unquote. So this is the year that we will see him produce because he has a target on his back now. He didn't have it before. Like Reese was saying, Reese alluded to the last two months of the season where that's he's he's usually good during the last two months of season fine fine Mondesi but we need you to be good month one month two month three right uh Dozier Solaire they don't just take months off well you can't take a month off Mondesi we need you every single month I'm rooting for you but I'm watching you I said this last podcast and I'll say it again Mondesi hot take Mondo is watching listen as much as I appreciate that you bring the heat on Mondesi, and this oh, has just become you. a bit every week, uh, <laughs> I got to say, I think that you you raise a good point about the boom and bust nature of Mondesi. I think we actually may be a little bit too beholden to that boom and bust narrative, because when you just look at his numbers, like 
you know, 2018, he played about half the season. Then 2019, he played 102 games. He played quite a bit more. Those are sort of like the big body of work that we have from him. And like, yes, batting average, not fantastic, 276 and 263 respectively. But even when you take into account the COVID season where we saw him, you know, at some points during those 60 games, he played almost every game. He played every game but one in that in that um, season last year. And, uh, you know, it was unwatchable uh, at the plate um, at certain points in that season. And then at certain points, he looked good, to your point. But when you just look at the numbers extrapolated towards these last three seasons, his on-base percentage is pretty consistent all the way through. It's 306, 291, 294. So that's about, he's kind of hovering around there, right? Obviously, we want to see the consistency appear week to week. So we don't have these huge dips that are then made up statistically by, you know, offensive efficiency later in the season. So we're on the same page about what we need from Mondesi. But I think, I mean, he's only 25, right? I mean, the defense is usually fantastic. There were some concerning dips in that last year. I guess I'm agreeing with you mostly. I'm just saying that I'm not sure it's time to, you know, sound the alarm Judas Maccabeus style on on, yeah, I was about uh, to say. on Mondesi. <laughs> wow, that joke's going to read for like two people. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no one. <laughs> it read for me. I loved it. Uh, Yeah, so... I love Mondesi. I really hope he has a fantastic year. Um, I do wonder how much of the boom and bust is just... It's its hard to play Major League Baseball. And especially if he's the kind of guy who really wants to kind of make his name and like make sure he has an extended career in the MLB, like I'm sure everybody does, right? And, and, and if he's the kind of guy where the pressure can kind of mount, that's concerning. I think it's easy for us to say we're like, oh, like, you know, when he's when the pressure's on, he can't deliver. That's easy for us to say as armchair analysts. Right. We don't really know what's going on. Um, but I, you know, I really hope he has an awesome year as uh, the organization continues to build around him. I think one thing we have to keep in mind, too, is even if he doesn't wind up being this like perennial all star the way his dad was. You know, who are we going to get that's going to be better than him replacement-wise? We're not going to get some veteran off the market who's going to offer more than Mondi does. You know, we're not going to get some young prospect off of a team without giving up Bobby Witt or like half of our pitching stable. I think right now, if he can play a full season kind of at the level he has, let's find that little medium point. I think what we have on our lap right now is we have the premium trim package, Alcides Escobar. You know, he's a better defender. He's more athletic. He steals better. I think he has probably about the same bat when all things averages out. I mean, Monty hits for better power, but we were pretty happy with Alcides Escobar in his late 20s when we were making those runs for the World Series, so I don't see why having Adalberto Mondesi, who's got a higher upside than that, is going to be such if a bad thing. O- Olivares and Kyle Isbell come to fruition, I'm saying bye, Mondesi. I'll find someone else, and I'm putting Olivares, and I'm putting Kyle Isbell in there, and Bobby Witt, right? Like, there, there's a lot of prospects coming up, and, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I think that there is a hot seat now for Mondesi, because for me, and I know we're going to talk about 7-8-9, but when it comes to 7-8-9, closer to 6 for Mondesi, he's kind of right in there where I'm like, I can I can rotate you out. If, if you're not going to be a heavy hitter, yes, your defense is incredible, but if you're not going to hit the bat, fine. Olivares can hit the bat. You know, Kyle Isbell might be able to hit the bat. Bobby Witt might be able to hit the bat. I don't know. 
That's a really good point. Let's talk about actually the baseline because Mondesi at the at the beginning of like the 2018, like, oh, man, we're going to rebuild. Like, this is the guy, right? Like, there was some hype around right. him. Uh, if we're going to say what the baseline is for Mondesi to truly get paid and become like a franchise player, like put him on like the Mount Rushmore outside the, the stadium, right? The Mount Crushmore, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think my baseline for Mondesi is through the season, he's batting 290, 390 on base percentage, 20 home runs. That's kind of like if he's really going to get paid and try to be a franchise player, that's going to have to be the minimum for me. And um, I mean, obviously, a return to his like incredible defensive ability, which kind of had a weird lag a few times last season. What do you guys think about that? Do you think it should be better, should be worse? What's the minimum that we need to see from him to get well, him I'll paid? jump in real quick. I mean, th- what you just said is really similar to his 2018 stats. And when he, in 2018, I I wasn't saying, you know, give him the max, give him, you know, let him be a franchise player. So I think he needs to do more. He's got to he's got to bat closer to 300 or even over 300, I think. Um has to have more than what do you have? 14 home runs that that year. He's got to have I'm going to say 25 home runs. I mean, let's let's put him let's let's rely on him in the middle of the lineup as opposed to the bottom of the lineup. So yeah, he's he's got to really produce. Well, one thing that's partially his fault, partially isn't his fault is the fact he seems to be injured all the time, just like freak injuries too. So it's like we've never gotten a chance that's to true. see him in extended periods because it's like Oh, he's playing hot. He gets injured. He comes back. He's cold. Why is he cold? This guy sucks. And then the next year, you know, it's like, oh, he starts out cold and he starts playing the last part of the season. He goes, oh my gosh, this guy's so hot. Let's see if he can keep it up. End of season. Insert coin. So, I, you know, it's you, you never know what part of Mondesi we're going to get. Speaking of insert coin and Mondesi. So, if you're looking at the next few years here and you're the Royals front office, what do you think the deal with Mondesi is going to look like contractually? I think it's a little useless to speculate because this is the nature of a guy who's been with your organization for five years, right? Because at this point, he's mid-20s. He's not even really in his prime yet, mathematically, which means that he either gets, it's like I just said, he either gets paid or we let him walk. Those are those are the two options. He's not a guy that you're just kind of keeping around. And so I don't know the specifics in terms of like how the financials would work out year by year or like what kind of contract they might be looking at for him. But I do know that those are the options, right? He's 25. We've seen glimpses of brilliance. We've seen quite a few glimpses of something less than brilliance. And so the options are you either get paid and become like a top five player in this franchise or we move on. I would like to see us locking him up through age 30. We don't have to throw the entire, you know, farm at him in regards for money. But, I mean, by that point, you know, baseball players are kind of in their prime, getting you close to exiting their prime. But I think we'll know what player Mondesi is going to be by the time 30 rolls around. And like I said, if we're getting kind of Alcides Escobar on steroids here, oh, geez, no pun intended, uh, you know, (laughs) he's not hurting the... He's not hurting the team playing how he is. This isn't a situation like when we signed Christian Colon or some of those other guys that are just like being money pits, black holes in the lineup, and can't really do their job very well. It's Like I said, who are we going to get that's going to replace Mondesi that would either take care of his talent gap versus paying way too much for that player you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i get, I get what you're saying but if like nikki lopez learns how to hit i'll i'll move nikki lopez to shortstop that's asking a that's asking a big if of our boy nikki lopez 
watching you, Mondesi. <laughs> it's just. Insert, it's just. Insert. It's just the refrain through the ages. It's Armando obsessing over Mondesi. segment of the podcast and that is the beer review armando tell us what's going on this week in beer sure so i was supposed to do this last week but reese just like bulldozed through it i had put so much research into what i was going to talk about today i mean I, I was at the library during covid times had my mask on but still you know people were coughing all over the place did you it travel to reached. egypt to like study up on that ancient brewery they found is that what happened <laughs> yeah I, I i started like chiseling artifacts and then went to uh uh i don't know people that like do carbon data to figure out you know things and that's my knowledge of archaeology. You know, I appreciate you saying carbon data because I just had this conversation with my wife not like two hours ago. She says, is it data or data? And I'm like, well, I feel like if you're British, it's oh. data, but you just said data right there without thinking. Kyle, how would you say it? Take that for data. You say data? Whoa, he says data? Daddy no, likes data. No, it's Coach Fizz. Come on. Know your NBA. But I do say database. I say database. Can we get Coach Fizz on the podcast? Sure. Yeah, I'll just send him a quick email. Be like, hey, Fizz, we know you got fired from the Grizzlies. That was wrong. We also know you got fired from the Knicks. That was probably that right. Was right. But yeah. will you still come on our podcast? Oh, Fizz is, Fizz is so cool. I mean. I know, dude. Fizz, Fizz has got to be like cool factor, like top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uncool factor would be like uh, Budenholzer. Yeah. Or like Steve, or sorry, Stan Van Gundy. You don't like Stan Van Gundy? Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, except Stan's got a little bit of like old school swag. Nerdy guy, you know? Who's the, who's the one that looks like Super Mario come to life? Is that Jeff or Stan? <laughs> That's Stan. <laughs> oh, I love Stan. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I think I think Budenholzer <laughs> is in the basement of cool. I think for better or for worse, uh, Luke Walton is in the basement Ooh. for cool. Uh, Wait, now, now I got to Guys, about the Waltons again too. Which one was the one that was just coaching the Lakers and got fired? Is that Bill or Luke? Luke. That's that's Luke. <sighs> yeah, Bill. Bill has not been up to much besides being a total weirdo on college basketball. Yeah, I actually uh, love when he's on college basketball because he's totally on shrooms when he's when he's doing his. Yeah, broadcasting. I don't love it. He's a psychopath <laughs> he's on those so uh, on but, those broadcasts. I mean, he's so smart though. He's he's brilliant. I mean, okay. Uh, let's see who else. So yeah, definitely. Uh, when it comes to like, def yeah, definitely cool, Fizdale for sure. All right, cool. So I will talk about uh, the beer industry. So if you guys don't remember, last week was International Women's Day. So shout out to all the women in our life. We have some great women in our life. And I just wanted to highlight women in the beer industry. So if you guys didn't know, before the 16th century, women actually ruled the beer industry and were actually the main brewers of the day because if, if we go back to you know gender norms back in the day right this is just what happened i'm not making an opinion um you know men hunters women gatherers and making food and and one of those things was beer so in fact the brewery that reese had talked about in egypt was predominantly run by women in egypt in whoa fact, which is super cool yeah that is super cool now going going further some really interesting stuff we all know about the folklore of witches 
right? What are what are some things that are associated with witches? Ashley Olsen. <laughs> That's true. That that is true. Great movies out there, but also cauldrons. Now, where did those cauldrons come from in real life? They actually came from women that were transporting beer to marketplaces. What is another feature that um, is associated with witches? Pointy hats. Another thing, because women were slightly shorter, they actually had pointy hats so that people can see them in a crowd as they were selling beer in a marketplace, which is really cool. Unfortunately, it was their demise. I found an article from Smithsonian Magazine highlighting how women actually made a ton of money off of beer, which then actually propelled the stereotype of witches because men were jealous of the profits that, that these women were making. So they casted them out as witches and used the cauldron and the big hats and um, kind of used that as folklore and kind of fake fake narratives for women. Um, so by the, fifth, by the 16th century, that's when they actually stopped women from making beer because of this like superstition that they were, you know, worshiping the devil or were, you know, trying to make magic through the beer. When in fact, they're really just making a profit and guys are like, we want a piece of that cash. That must have been some good ass beer. Um, yeah, I mean, imagine what the beer industry would be much better. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so sorry about that, but uh, yeah, I just saw an article that's super fascinating, and yeah, it was written by uh, someone getting their doctorate in, uh, I think, gender studies or something, and yeah, some great stuff. And that Who fits known? that fits right in with like the the historical precedent of like whenever women were getting up to something awesome like science or any kind of like mechanical innovation, witchcraft. Totally. Yeah, it's a shame. Beer, making that making that tasty beverage, witchcraft. Yeah. And without going too far, Reese, uh, we actually, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, we, we might have some interviews soon, possibly? We do have some exciting news for you. We do have an exclusive interview with the head brewer of Service Brewing in Shawnee, Kansas, hopefully coming to you either next week or the following week. It's, it's going to be locked down. It's going to be exciting. We'll be sure to share it to you on all of our social media platforms and on FountainCitySportsMedia.com. So you will know when to tune in to catch this exciting review with an exciting brewery. On to the beer review. Well, thanks, Armando, for that uh, for that week in beer. Uh, let's get into what you're reviewing today. Today I am reviewing from the front of the liquor store, not from the back of the liquor Boo. store this time. I, still really good because remember I'm getting single cans I'm not getting six packs these are like special beers that, that the liquor store gets and doesn't want to kind of sell them all out so they do single cans of a lot of these cool breweries so today I'm going to be reviewing Side Hustle Hazy IPA from Almanac Beer Company from Alameda California I feel like I've heard of Almanac before oh yeah Almanac I think has some really good beers this is one of their staples I think um, I think Farm Barrel is one of their their good ones, I believe. We got to get a Stone Cold Chief Austin to see uh, if he's had this beer. It's just down the road from him. West Coast beer correspondent Stone Cold Chief Austin uh, here to review on, this funky beer for you. <laughs> we got to have him be like our actual beat reporter. So what do I hear about allegations <laughs> that your, uh, your double IPA is actually more of a one-point IPA that's been dry hot for like <laughs> 10 seconds afterwards? Honestly, at this point, if it's a Northern California beer, he's probably had it. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Shout out to Stone Cold Chief Austin in front of the podcast. True OG. 
All right. So yeah, that's what I'm going to uh, be doing today, and I'm excited. How about you crack that open and uh, give us a review of the aroma? You got it, buddy. So while I crack this open, a feature of this beer is that they change the hops every two months on the beer side hustle. So it's kind of like um, kind of like the Space Camper series, right? You have a different hop feature for each one. Um, so this one for this month that I got it, it is Simcoe hop, which is kind of a standard hop. And um, Equinot. How do you say that, Reese? Equinot? Yeah, that one. Equinot. Oh, I guess it's, yeah, similar to Equinox. So, yeah, so that hop is featured, which I obviously haven't had because I can't pronounce it. So, yeah, I'm excited. Okay. Aroma. While he's sniffing, they named that that hop after that play with Daniel Radcliffe and the horse, really? (laughs) Yikes. What is it it supposed to be? Don't look it up. Don't look it up. I'm I'm not. I don't want to look it up. (laughs) What what is it called? (laughs) In your, in your free time, look up. I think it's called Equus or something like that. Uh, okay. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Okay. Like Don't play your deniability. Oh yeah, it's called Equus or something like that. You know damn well it's called Equus, Reese. He knows every line. <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna make that joke, you gotta double down. <laughs> okay, aroma on this one is really nice. It's um, a bunch of citrus tones. So you get grapefruit, just like we did on that last beer, which is great. Um, you get orange, a little bit of. Kind of like lemon as well, which is nice, um, which I usually don't get that like um, acidic fruit or, yeah, it's a fruit, Uh, acidic fruit, like that's so acidic. So that's, that's nice to taste or to smell some of that. Um, So a good, a good blend of smells, 8.4. Nice. And even over the, uh, the video call here, that pour looks really nice. How about you tell us a little bit about the appearance? Oh, yeah. Uh, appearance is nice. Like, like, uh, Kyle had said, it's not too hazy. It's actually really translucent on the bottom as opposed to the top. Um, almost looks like a, like a bright yellow color. I know it looks a little darker for you guys on FaceTime, but it's actually super bright, almost like, um, like a grapefruit or sorry, not a grapefruit, but like a white grape. If you were to squeeze it and then make white grape juice, like Welch's white grape, was actually really good when I was growing up. Um, almost looks like that. I, w- I was not expecting that because this is supposed to be a hazy IPA and it's supposed to be much darker, but uh, very light for the style. Um, it's cool. I like it. 8.8. Uh, how about you take a sip of that and tell us about the flavor? Okay, not what I was expecting. This has a ton of bitterness to it. It is incredibly dank. This is... Oof, this is super dank. Uh, dank as well as with the grapefruit that may make it dank, but it also like kind of pluses for dank. All right. Well, I'm going to assume you're done because I can't hear you at all. Uh, so how about you uh, walk us through the mouthfeel of that beer? Yeah, mouthfeel is super carby. It's super bitey. And I didn't mention, but the the malt that they use is a wheat malt and a Pilsner malt, actually. Um, so they purposefully tried to make it that crispy with the Pilsner malt. Um, and you totally get that on it. It doesn't taste, honestly, it doesn't taste like a hazy IPA at all. Like this, like if I had to do a blind test and probably most brewers had to do a blind test, not that I'm a brewer, but I'm saying like if a brewer had to, this is just a straight up West Coast IPA. Like I honestly don't get a lot of like depth at all that you would get for an hazy. Uh, really weird, super strange. Um, so mouth feels a little strange, a little sour. I don't really like that. Um, oof. I think I haven't done a seven in a while, but I think I'm going to have to go s- just a straight seven on this one. Uh, 
Yeah, the reviews tend to be really positive on this podcast, which I think is partially because we pick stuff that we know we're going to like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really have a point with that. Why don't you tell us about the aftertaste? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a brewery. I, it's a well-known brewery, but I, I've never tried any of their beers. And, and again, this is personal preference. I'm sure if someone loves a West Coast blend that is more West Coasty and super dank, they might love this beer. They may give it a 10. But for me, you guys know I love my sweet beers, my creamy beers, my smooth beers, and I'm not getting any of that right now. And I thought I'd get it. Okay. Yeah, after aftertaste is probably the best quality here because it, it does go down smooth. Unlike the... Uh, the crispiness and the and the maltiness, and then the pilsneriness that you get on the on the tongue, you don't get when you swallow. It's actually pretty nice, pretty smooth. A little bit more sweetness on the back end, but that sourness is kind of just like staying on my tongue. I really don't like that at all. <laughs> but again, aftertaste is actually fine. So yeah, eight eight point two. Okay, eight point two. And last but not least, how about the BWHSQ, the Bobby Witt Hit Street Quotient? Hey, at a boy, Bobby Witt. Unlike Bobby Witt, this one is not an inside the park home run or a home run. Uh, looking more like a double because I appreciate the dankness. I appreciate the Pilsner hop. Uh, but it really is not a good representation of a hazy IPA. Now, granted. Um, this beer was canned, I think a couple months ago. So that could have ruined the beer a little bit. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if this was straight out of the tap, it could be something different. So Almanac Brewery, I, I'm, I'm not trying to shit on you guys. It's just, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, super dank, just way too dank for me. Um, yeah. I, I, and I'm going to finish it. Like it, it's it's good, just not what I thought. So BDQ, not so much Bobby Witt. I'm sorry. A four. A basic oh, drinkability of a four. Wow. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Um, watch, watch Almanac Brewing like get their lawyers and like knock, somehow find my door and knock on it. And, like, you didn't get the freshest of fresh. Well, listen, <laughs> I'm going to be out there in a couple weeks. So I'm going to make a like a Alameda yeah I'm gonna make like a 78 like LP like uh, LP of this beer review and frame it and give it to them and say this is when Armando (laughs) rated your basic drinkability quotient a four what do you think about that go and try their beers and it's like the best thing that you've ever had in your life like this exact same beer It could be. I mean, I think uh, I think we may have to follow up anyway. And, and uh, honestly, I'm I, I'm sure that off the tap, I'm sure it's much better. Like I I think I just got dealt a bad can, which happens. That's okay. Sure. Another good beer review. So if Stone Cold Chief Austin is going to be our West Coast correspondent, does that make you Candace and Cooper? Welcome back to Fountain City Sports Media. We talked a lot about Ad Alberto Mondesi on the first half of this podcast, and on the back half, we're going to talk about some stuff that kind of pertains to him, his infield peers, seeing what we're going to get out of this, because we've had an issue 
with seven, eight, and nine <laughs> in the batting order. Now, this is what's funny. Last week, Kyle was so anxious to get on this that when I wrote seven, eight, nine when we were talking about pitching, he's like, yeah, man, I sure sure can't wait to see what we do in the back half of the batting order. Well, now's finally his chance to express his emotions. Just a little bit of foreshadowing, the back half of the batting order has been a black hole of three outs since the better part of, I would say, 2018. And I think we completely bottomed out in 2019 when we were batting Billy Hamilton, Bubba Starling, Jorge Soler. Yikes. So, Kyle, what is the fix to this? What is the 789 in the batting order? And can you see a constructive improvement for the Kansas City Royals? Well, first of all, it's totally my bad because last week was a pitching episode. And so it never crossed my mind that 789 would mean pitching in a pitching episode but also let me be a little vindicated by the fact that that is a weird way to preface a segment <laughs> about the bullpen to just be like seven eight nine and and also not not if you watch or not if you read the outline where it specifically says this is a pitching podcast i mean i'm kind of paraphrasing but i mean if any if like a kindergartner were to look at the look at our document it's pitching Armando, that's what I just said. It, it, it was a pitching podcast, so it was silly that I thought that 789 meant batting. But saying 789 when you could have just said bullpen is a little weird. So I feel a little Not vindicated by that. Not fine, in Kansas fine. City, though. We're, we have this this proud history of trotting out three guys to crush your soul for one yeah, inning apiece. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. But let's you know what let's meet halfway and let's just say i'm excited to hear what you have to say about <laughs> no dude i'm totally wrong dude no don't meet me don't compromise on this i'm totally wrong in this in this respect don't let me just mediocre my way to a compromise absolutely not i was wrong. three small anyway. quorum talbot Dude, yeah. moderator sounds like the lamest political superhero of all time <laughs> moderator okay so moderator the 789 is interesting, um, especially looking at last year's. Uh, I mean, I like we, we learned a ton from those 60 games. And I think the biggest thing that I'll say, and even seeing from uh, what we've seen of them in spring training, but the plug and play of um, the dynamic duo of O'Hearn and McBroom trying to get hits late in the batting order is just not really going to cut it. I know that McBroom weirdly had like a couple pinch hit home runs, like like, like some weirdly interesting stats when it came to um, late in the batting order pinch hitting for guys. But it's not really going to cut it to have, you know, guys that we try to bring off the bench to get some hits and substitute for the good defensive players. That's like a totally small ball um, way of going about things that I think we need to get away from. So my point is we need to find guys who are strong defensive players who can consistently hit at a major league level in that 789 slot instead of just relying on subs. Um, and I think that's what Matheny's all about. That's something that I really respect about his managerial style. That's something we saw in St. Louis. They were perennial playoff teams in those six years, I think, that he maybe five, I think six, that he managed St. Louis. You know, they made the playoffs like five out of six years, something like that. Uh, no World Series in there, but they got close a couple times. Um, and those teams were always good whether or not you knew the names of the guys in the squad. And I think that speaks to somebody who's willing to try different lineups and do whatever it takes to get to a winning combination. When it comes to individual players, 
I'm going to say I, you know, I like what um, our like projected opening day lineup has where, you know, they're trying to say that we're going to get Dozier, Lopez, Michael A. Taylor at the bottom of the order. I think that's a great start. Um, you know, y'all's point about Nicky Lopez earlier is fair. He was pretty hot and cold last year. But Dozier has proven himself to be a pretty solid offensive player. And we've seen some good play from Michael A. Taylor lately. And the best thing about that situation is they have pressure on them in terms of guys who can hit coming up from the minor leagues. Armando uh, mentioned Olivares earlier. He's good. Nick Heath, honestly, can hit. Um, I'm curious to see more from Lucius Fox. I don't really know if he can hit at a major league level yet. Um. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But at the end of the day, we're looking for guys who are going to lock down those spots rather than just be subs. Um, I, I, I don't really like the fan graphs lineup, honestly. I don't think Dozier's going to be seven. I mean, they have Montessi third. There's no way. There's no way Montessi's batting third, I don't think. Um, what? I mean, it's close, though. It's close. So so as we talked about Montessi, I think Montessi's hitting seventh. I think Montessi's going to be seventh. Then I think it's going to be Michael A. Taylor at eight, and then Nikki at at nine. Even though you know Nikki's had some some good things in spring training, he's still one of the worst hitters that we've ever had on the Royals team. Uh, and until he proves us otherwise during the regular season, then I can move him up in the rankings. Of course, he's an incredible, incredible defensive player. But uh, Nick, Nicky Lopez, Lopez is going to be ninth in that. And I actually don't even want him to be in the starting lineup. But he will be because his defense is amazing. Um, to Kyle's point, Michael A. Taylor has been playing very, very well. And, of course, it's hard to judge spring training. So we have to see whether Michael A. Taylor is going to really produce during the year. I mean, it's great. He's batting 412. He has an on-base percentage of uh, 444. I mean, that's awesome. If he can keep up half of those numbers, then it's going to be great. And again, if Mondesi at seven is hitting 25 home runs, has, you know, close to a 300 batting average, then this Royals team is going to be amazing, right? If we have Mondesi down at seven playing well, Michael A. Taylor playing consistent, we can we can kind of let Nicky Lopez figure out what the heck is going on there. Um, so that's who I think is going to be the starting seven, eight, nine towards the end of the season. We'll see what happens, but for now, that's what I think it's going to be. Well, I think it's just so interesting that you guys chose the lineups you did and the order you did for the reasons you did, because kind of as Kyle alluded to here, between the two of you, we have a very yin and yang approach, by which I mean Kyle has a very Mike Matheny approach to this. Armando's approaching is very similar to how Ned Yost would probably like approach the players that we have in the lineup right now. What I'm getting at is Kyle is talking about making sure the hitting is spread out throughout the lineup. Armando, I know you said you didn't understand why Mond would be batting in the front half of the order. Given the projections and how Matheny manages... I see Mondesi in the front half of the order because they're trying to do their best to get as many people on base as soon as they can so that our cleanup hitters can come up and really drive in some runs. Now, similar to what you were saying, though, is why would you want to have Mondesi in the front half of the lineup when he's probably not as reliable of a bat as Dozier? Ned Yost's approach at batting was always kind of put like the hitters in the last three spots as like your weakest hitters, which is why we saw that lineup, like I said, that had... Oh my goodness, Hamilton and Starling and those kind of guys. You got relegated to the 7-8-9 spot. I can understand having Dozier in the 7th spot just because that way you can 
generate some sort of offense in the back part of that batting order so it's not just hope you don't get three outs in these last three batters. Um, now, the big question is, if we're going to spread the wealth, or we're going to have our best batters in the front and our less talented batters in the back, what do we see as the batting order one through nine? Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I mean, that's a little bit of a moot point because it's going to be based on who we're playing, right? I got, I gotcha, I gotcha. Uh, Armando, Armando you, you, do you want to jump in? No, I mean, uh, and look, Dayton, Dayton Moore already said in February, he said that the the uh, the lineup is actually set. He he actually said he was like, I we actually know who's going to be playing. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident, actually, honestly, in what the I think the lineup is going to be. And I'll even make some bets if you guys want to make some bets too. You know, I love bets. Kyle, I know you love bets too. Here's who I have one through nine, and and maybe I'm not so confident seven, eight, nine, but I'm I'm pretty confident on the top half. So number one, I agree. Whit Merrifield, I think that would be great. Uh, Benintendi two, awesome. Third, I think it's going to be Carlos Santana. I think Carlos is going to be a great third option there. Um, you know, not the heaviest hitter, but he can, if Benintendi and Merrifield get on base, I think he could really bring some runs in. Not not the heavy hitter, which is fine. You don't need a heavy hitter at three. At four, look, Salvi's shown zero um, de- decline, zero re- regression in his play. So Salvi at four, Soler at five. Th- that's such a good one through five. Of course, we have to see Santana, you know, do a little better. Benintendi, obviously, we have to see him do better. But we've seen glimpses of that. And I think we talked about that on our pod, right? We're kind of throwing away what we saw in 2020 and kind of relying on some of the stats from 2019. Uh, Anyway, back to my back to my stuff. Uh, Number six, Hunter Dozier. Uh, I mean, Hunter doing really great. Uh, again, we need we need to see him jump up again, but we've seen glimpses of amazing, amazing Hunter Dozier. And then I already talked about my last three, Mondesi, uh, and then some combination of Taylor and Lopez could switch throughout. But look, again, if, if Mondesi is playing well, if Benintendi's playing well, Santana's playing well, Dozier's playing well, that's, that's a lot that needs to go well. But that... Hot Take Mondo is one of the best lineups in the in the MLB if everyone is playing well. I hear you on all that. Um, I, I think I would raise you that seeing Matheny's managerial style last season, we're going to see a ton of experimentation. And so it's, it's a little bit of a theoretical exercise to, to talk about the lineup. The only thing that I, I – I really like Salvi batting cleanup just because he has a lot of history of doing that in his last, you know, seven years with the Royals or – longer even um and uh yeah i mean salvi batting cleanup has has a long history of being good for us when he's had his best seasons offensively uh i i guess my only hot take i might put in there is if we get a a truly full healthy season from jorge soler he's gonna be batting third some games i really think so i think when he's really on fire he can you know Matheny had him bat second a few games last season um so that could happen. Uh, I really think, I mean, you know, it's an interesting question, but we're a situational team. We're a, we're a small market team in a big market world. And so we're going to be tailoring these lineups based on who our opponents are. 
Well, I think it's very interesting that you guys have uh, kind of created the arguments you have of where to put up some of our big bats and what to do with some of our less talented bats. Now, here's my big question to kind of tie everything together, even from the front half of the podcast. So I know we did the wit watch. I know we talked about are we going to call Bobby Wood Jr. up at any point this year or not. And, you know, the person on the chopping block, as we talked about, would likely be Nicky Lopez. Now, as I mentioned... Bobby Wood Jr. was hitting top two in all those great categories in the team. He was killing it. Nicky Lopez, on the other hand, so far, not good. He is currently 30th or worse on the team in batting average with 111 on base percentage, slugging, and OPS. Uh, I think we were hoping for a little bit more from Nicky, even in spring training. So, my question that I'm getting at here is is if things go south for Nicky for, I mean, we're talking the first six, seven, maybe eight weeks of the season, and it's evident that he's not just, you know, like maybe one league or one win under league average, and he is creating a black hole on this offense by himself. What would you guys do to rectify that situation? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, there, there's several things we can do. Uh, I know Kyle loaded to Nick Heath. We'll see how Nick Heath is doing. We'll see how Olivares is doing as well. Again, I'm kind of st- I'm going to stay with the Bobby Whip. We're going to hold on him. Maybe at the back end, if we're going to compromise at the back end of the season, we'll put Witt in, put him at second. Um, I don't know if uh, Nick Lofton is ready yet. Uh, although he's been playing okay, I know he just got sent down. He just actually just got cut today, I believe. Um, but we have other options there, so we'll see. And also, I don't know if if if, if the Royals would cut Nicky Lopez or move on from Nicky because of his batting, because of how great he is as a defensive player. And we've talked about this on the pod, right? The Royals yep. are 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 a defensive team. That is who we are. That's who we've always been. So I don't know if, if they would cut him. If I am the manager, if I'm Mike Matheny, I'm cutting him because we need bats. That's the reason why we keep losing is because we're so focused on defense. We, we have to be the Brooklyn Nets. You know what I mean, baby? So I would rather... Get him out of there. Put someone else at second. Maybe, maybe put Witt at second and then play Olivares in the outfield. I love everything you just said. Strongly agree. I'm a I'm a big Olivares fan. Whoa. I, I think he's going to be awesome. Um, and I also think that Nikki's, Nikki's defense is good enough. He honestly doesn't even have to be that, you know, I mean, I, I, I hate to say that. And, and I know that we're trying to construct an offense that's going to, you know, compete day in and day out. But... I hope he can take a bit of the pressure off and and so that he doesn't, you know, obsess over being a weak link and instead just try to get that production up. Well, what's so weird with Nicky is that the big talk of him coming out of AAA Omaha was the fact that how like he always got contact, the fact that he would always find a way on base, you know, he'd run up those pitch counts and those pitchers. And like just the floor has fallen out from under him in those regards in the majors and it's just, it's mind-boggling. So, well, I kind of like where Mondo League baseball, was, honestly. You know? It's true. It's very true. I liked where Armando was going to be honest and bringing in Olivares. I kind of had a hypothetical situation run through my head where maybe, like attacking a Rubik's Cube and you just can't get rid of that one blue cube on the green side. So the answer isn't, what do I do on the green side? The answer is, you swap out the blue side. And what I'm saying is, maybe we don't get rid of Nicky Lopez at second base for Bobby Wood Jr. or try and find an immediate replacement there. But instead, we swap out Nicky Lopez for another outfielder. So like Armando said, you bring in 
Whit Merrifield from the outfield onto second base. You keep at Alberto Mondesi at short. And then your outfield, you suddenly got Ben Intendi, you got Michael A. Taylor, you got Olivares, and your 7 8 9 in the batting order subsequently is Dozier, Olivares, and Taylor. Yeah, I'd. Uh... I don't know if I agree with the batting lineup, but I'm also going to throw another scenario that kind of plays into that. We talked about switching wit, put him in the second base. We actually haven't talked about Dyson. I mean, what if what if like that's the reason why we have Dyson here is because of someone like Nicky Lopez or because of Michael A. Taylor. You can just plug Dyson right in or you can switch mit, uh, wit to second base and then put Dyson in. So Dyson's kind of that wild card. Is so like, why is he here right now? He's 36. We paid him a lot of money. What... What are we going to do with Dyson? I think that could be an answer as well, another alternative, if Olivares doesn't pan out. Friend of the podcast, Gerard Dyson. Gerard Dyson's great. We love him. Well, oh, unfortunately, yeah. just like revving the motorcycle, we have to be revving and hitting on that old pavement road and riding into the sunset and a bunch of other uh, fun metaphors to say. So, boys, you've had a wonderful week of events happen to you last week. Do you have anything coming up in the pipeline this week? My canceled show being actually going to happen hopefully next Sunday. Me just uh, lighting candles and um, holding a vigil and hoping that KU can play in the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll be watching the NCAA tournament from Kansas City, hoping that Iowa somehow proves me wrong and can make it past a decent team in the tournament. Yeah, okay, you got dealt a bad hand, by the way. Yeah, it's true. Especially after we put it together after a terrible middle of the season and playing really well lately. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 